You're listening to episode number 12 of the Body You Crave podcast, the one where we talk about calories in, calories out, and why it's a load of crap. I'm master at life and weight loss coach Jillian Lama, and you're listening to the Body You Crave podcast, where you'll learn how to end emotional eating, lose excess weight, and feel amazing in your body. No cheating required. Keep listening, and I'll show you how. Welcome back. We've got another juicy episode talking about hunger games, why calories in, calories out is a big fat lie. And many of us have heard probably conflicting and contradictory information around this. So I'm sure many of you have heard that, well, calorie is just a calorie or carb is just a carb. Maybe you've heard that weight loss is just basic math or simple science, right? It's just we need to eat less and exercise more. And this philosophy really underpins a lot of what we hear kind of in the diet space with exercise and personal trainers and gyms and even different nutrition programs like Weight Watchers or Nutrisystem or Jenny Craig or, you know, I'm sure there's hundreds others with different nutrition coaches, different people who ultimately bring it back to calories. And this is such a problem. <laughs> and it's it's challenging to be able to see kind of Number one, when this has been such a long-held and long-standing belief, why it's wrong, where we've got it wrong, and how to move forward and move beyond this. So I want to break this down both in terms of, number one, the science aspect and why the calories in, calories out does not work long-term, and then also bring in the emotional piece because a simple math equation doesn't account for all of the emotional reasons as to why we reach for food. So a lot of advocates who tout these low-calorie and low-fat diets also claim that every other diet out there works, every other approach like intermittent fasting or keto or Atkins or the Whole30, or they claim that these all work because you are reducing your calorie consumption, that the reason this works, and I'm putting works in quotes here, because a lot of times things will, quote, work short-term, but they don't last. So the reason these work short-term is because you are simply eating less and moving more. That's what this kind of philosophy and this approach suggests. But this is not a long-term sustainable approach for weight loss and weight management. And that's why I'm spending an entire episode, maybe even two, really breaking this down. Because it's a hard thing to shake, right? We've got a lot of different diets. You've got Weight Watchers like a billion dollar company out there who is built on this philosophy of eat less and move more. You've got different people in this space, different health influencers like Jillian Michaels, who also pushes this philosophy. So I want to go through and just explain why the science debunks this in a way that is like simple and easy to understand and recognize that there's a lot of money in trying to keep this idea going. Right. And we just have to be aware and recognize, hey, there are going to be some people who have a vested financial interest in continuing to tell you that you should eat less and move more. OK, so like, let's just <laughs> let's just recognize that. And then also basic math and this approach, this formula doesn't account for all those emotional triggers, that natural instinct to make emotional decisions, especially when we're bored, stressed, tired, lonely. You know, all the information in the world cannot keep your brain from acting out in the habit that it's learned because your brain has simply learned that food 
is the most rapid, reliable, and effective way of creating a sense of relief when you're ever encountering an emotion that you don't want to feel or that feels scary or you ever just feel uncertain. We have simply taught our brain that food is the way to solve this and it's the most effective and rapid way to do that. Like it's the easiest, it's the go-to. And because we've trained our brain to do this, we can also train our brain to not do this, but it takes some conscious effort. So back in early 2010, I joined Jillian Michaels online program. So she gave you fitness and workouts. She gave you different kind of nutrition and meal plans. And she basically said that if you were, I think it was 150 or 160 pounds or less, you wanted to be eating 1200 calories a day. And if you were 185 to that 160 or 150 range, whatever that next range was, it was then you could eat 1400 calories. So you would go from roughly let's say 2,000 calories on average that you were consuming, let's say, down to about 1,200 to 1,400, depending on your body size and shape. And I started her program because I really just like, I wanted to lose like five pounds. I just wanted to lose a little bit. I was working as a personal trainer and group fitness instructor. And I felt like I had just kind of gained a little bit over the last year. And I mean, she looks amazing. She must have some secret. She must know what she's doing. So I started doing this and I was tracking my food and the tracking lasted all of probably two days, maybe three max. But by the end of day three or four, I just couldn't do it anymore. I hated tracking my food because my food journals were like little journals of shame. And it was this written record of all my failures and how I wasn't good enough and I couldn't stick with this 1200 calorie diet. And I was trying really hard. I was exercising twice a day. I would run in the morning. I would walk in the afternoons. I was trying to eat less and move more. And I just couldn't do it. Couldn't stick with it. And I was either hungry at the end of the day or I would spend all morning like trying not to eat because I wanted to make sure I had enough calories at the end of the day so that I wasn't hungry later. And just this idea of being hungry and just ignoring it and moving through it, that was just not possible. (laughs) It was like so uncomfortable. And so often we think that we are the problem instead of realizing that maybe the diet is the problem. Maybe our approach to weight loss is the problem. Maybe it's our thoughts about food and body image and fitness that are the problem. And that's ultimately what we need to be solving. I remember back then I was eating really low calorie soups. I was maybe having like a coffee in the morning with protein bar and it was like something that was very small and not very filling seemed like it was like four or 500 calories. And then I was like, F me, this is like half of what I'm allowed to eat during the day. So now I'm trying to, you know, so I'm working out hard and I'm trying to eat low fat, low calorie. I'm also still in this low carb, carbs are bad, sugar is bad phase but I just couldn't bring my hunger and satiety levels in line with the foods that I was eating. I just wasn't, I maybe was getting satisfied, but then I was getting hungry again. And so we've ultimately what's happened is like we develop a lot of negative beliefs around food and body and fitness because of the diet and fitness industry. And it's just idea of calories in calories out has been perpetuated for so long. So I do want to be clear here though, that weight loss does not always mean part of the diet culture. So I was pitching myself to be on another podcast and I had explained that I am a master life and weight loss coach. And she wrote back and said, weight loss is not part of our philosophy because we're anti-diet culture. And I was like, well, I'm anti-diet culture, but you can still lose weight and be against the diet culture. So I just want to be clear here on what diet culture is and what it's not, and that they're not mutually exclusive. I can be pro-weight loss and anti-diet culture, and it's not a conflict. 
So when I say diet culture, what I'm thinking of is a set of beliefs or values that it's better to be thin, that your appearance is what matters most, that we want your size, shape, or weight to trump any health or well-being. A lot of times what I see with diet culture is that it demonizes certain foods, certain food groups, and then when that food is bad, now I am bad whenever I eat it. So there's a lot of shame involved. There's a lot of punishment. There's a lot of negativity. There's a lot of self-loathing. And so culture, essentially just what tells us what's acceptable. So it gives us how do we think? How do we behave? It gives us a sense of right and wrong. That's what culture is. We have culture throughout different pockets of the United States and different countries. There's these little subsets of culture. Diet, like the typical diet culture, suggests that being thinner is better, that you eat less, you exercise more, that we look, go for a certain size, shape, or weight, and now you've earned the right to be happy or proud or confident or to wear certain clothes. So I can be anti-diet culture and still be pro-weight loss because of two things here. Number one, the process in which you lose the weight, which must include changing the way that you think and talk to yourself. And two, you have to like your reasons for losing weight. And we really have to start to get honest with ourselves about what is my goal? Why am I trying to lose the weight? Because if your goal is to get healthy, it's to stave off disease, it's to have more energy, it's to move without pain, to feel good in your body. Those I feel like are reasons that are going to be very productive and have your best interest at heart. For a long time, I spent probably my late teens into my all of my 20s where I just wanted to lose 5, 10, 20 pounds because I didn't like who I was. And I thought that weight loss would solve the thing, solve the problem. Weight loss would make me happy. It would make me confident. It would make me feel beautiful and desirable. That weight loss was the solution and it was a way to where I could earn favor. I could earn love. I could be better. It was like I wasn't good enough the way that I was and I needed to lose weight in order to be, I don't know, like acceptable. So we have to really question our reasons for wanting to lose weight. There's nothing wrong with wanting to look good in that dress. There's nothing wrong with wanting to feel comfortable in a bathing suit on the beach. But we just want to look at what is the process by which we're getting there. And we have to remember that losing the weight in and of itself is not going to change any of this. It's not going to change the self-loathing. It's not going to change the critical nitpicking your body all the time. It's not going to change fights with your spouse or your kids or tantrums or traffic. It's not going to change these big life things the way that we often think it will. We have to change the inner game. And we can do both at the same time. We can lose weight at the same time that we are changing how we think about ourselves. We can learn how to love our bodies now and be in the process of losing weight. So we don't want to put shame either way. We don't have to, I hear a lot too that, well, if you want to lose weight, that means you hate your body and you are shaming your body and that's bad. So we get shame on both ends. You're bad if you want to lose weight. You're bad if you don't. So, and really like we've got to just, (laughs) we've got to put an end to this. We've got to stop these subtle shaming beliefs and mentalities. And I get that it's there trying to encourage people, but you have to like your reasons. So for me, I'm five foot three on a good day. I am not very tall. I'm fairly petite. If I were 250 pounds, that would be too much weight on my body. I would be more at risk for heart disease, for diabetes, for high cholesterol or blood pressure. My joints would probably hurt. I probably wouldn't have good energy to play with my son. I wouldn't be as mobile and as active. There would be a physical toll on my body, but it's still my decision whether or not I want to lose the weight and why I'm losing the weight and what really is going to get us there. So just because I'm talking about weight loss here doesn't mean that I'm part of diet culture. And I just felt the need need to share that because I want you to know that you don't have to be a part of diet culture in order to lose weight either. Okay, so I'm on a mission to help women really learn that they can lose weight and love their bodies and like themselves and eat the foods they love 
and that we don't have to be a part of this mainstream diet culture. So let's lose our weight and love ourselves throughout the entire process, all the way down the scale. All right, that was my little side tangent. (laughs) Back to calories in, calories out. So this whole philosophy of CICO, that's how we abbreviate it, comes from the first law of thermodynamics. And this states that energy can neither be created nor destroyed. It can only be transferred from one form to another within an isolated system. So the idea here is that the energy or calories from an apple can't be destroyed by me eating it. They're simply transferred to my body. So I take on those calories. I take on that energy. It can't be eliminated. Okay, so the first law of thermodynamics, it's always true, but it's completely irrelevant to human health because our bodies are not an isolated system. And it's easy to think that. It's easy to think that because it's a single body, that it must be a single system. And that's not how our bodies work. That's not how they function. We have a variety of systems within our bodies that are always at play and always working. And different foods, different chemical responses in our bodies, not just based on the chemical makeup on the food, the macronutrient breakdown of the food, but also based on things like sleep, hydration, hormone levels, like hunger and satiety, insulin, things like monthly hormone cycles in both men and women, like estrogen, progesterone, or testosterone. So again, many of these studies have debunked this myth, and yet it's still perpetuated by counting calories, counting points, eating low fat, relying on exercise. I'm going to be the first to tell you, I was the girl who woke up in the morning and was like, oh shoot, I got to burn off what I ate last night. Or like, ah crap, I just had those Oreos, I better go for a run tonight. And that's not the way our bodies work. That's not how it happens. So over time, what ends up happening is we end up focused on quantity and not quality. So we get this idea that calories are bad and we need to eat as little as humanly possible, right? We want to eat as few calories as possible because that's going to be better. And the more you can cut and restrict and deprive, well, that's even better because now you're going to hit your weight faster. So if you're typically consuming, let's say you're used to consuming like 3,000 calories and now you're trying to cut that in half and go down to 1,500 with this big, massive cut, well, you're bound to lose some good weight throughout that week, maybe throughout that month. Like, that's awesome. We want to hurry up and get there because of of what we're making the weight loss mean and because of what we're making being overweight right now. We are making it a problem. That is one of the biggest foundational issues that we have to go to work solving is why is it a problem? Like, why is my weight a problem right now? What am I thinking about myself and telling myself? Because you cannot keep these shitty thoughts about you and lose the weight and keep it off. I will always come back. But it's always going to come back for another reason too, for the way that it works in our bodies. So over time, when we try to just eat less and exercise more and create this massive deficit, it sends our body into starvation mode because our body is trying to conserve energy and it wants to keep you alive. And so it's going to send out more hunger signals because it's thinking, oh shit, there's a famine. I'm in danger. And so now you're going to have more hunger. You're going to want to move your body less. And in order to meet your basic energy needs, your body might start to break down muscles and organs in addition to fat. And so the biggest flaw here is that calories in, calories out assumes that if you were typically burning 2,000 calories during the day and consuming roughly 2,000, like let's say you were kind of maintaining at that 2,000 calorie level range, well, when you decrease your calories to 1,200 in, that you will still continue to burn 2,000. That calories out will still be 2,000 while calories in will be 1,200. And so what we've learned is that our bodies are more like a highly tuned thermostat. So it doesn't like a lot of change. It doesn't like these big jumps. 
and it is simply designed to keep you alive. So as early as 1917, over 100 years ago, y'all, studies showed that a reduction of calories by 30% was quickly met by a reduction in your base metabolic rate by 30%. So that means that when we drop calories 30%, your calories in, your calories out also drops. So you're not burning as much. You're burning less. So when I'm used to burning 2,000 calories, but now I only feed myself 1,200, my body is going to lower that base metabolic rate and I'm going to start only burning 1,200 calories, which means that I'm going to start maintaining and I'm likely going to start gaining weight again. So Dr. Ansel Keys explored the components of severe dieting in 1944, and he has this infamous starvation experiment which lasted an entire year. So it went from 1944 to 1945. And the idea here was that conscientious objectors of World War II could come and they could help identify what starvation effects had on the body, on the mind. And so there were both drastic physical and psychological effects that resulted from this. So he looked at single male men who were in good physical and mental health, and they had to show an ability to get along well with others in difficult situations. So he was very particular about the men that he chose. So the protocol called for them to lose 25% of their normal body weight. So they spent the first three months of the study eating a normal diet, which was 3,200 calories a day. And then for the next six months, they were on a semi-starvation, 1,600 calories per day. And I just find this really fascinating. I want to pause here and just note semi-starvation was 1,600 calories. How many of us are being told that we should only eat 1,200 calories or 14 or 15? How many of us are told that we should eat lower than this semi-starvation amount? So I just want to point that out. We are often told that we should eat far less than what we really should. Okay, so we had three months at 3,200 as just kind of like a baseline. They had six months of this semi-starvation at 1,600, and then they had a restricted rehabilitation for three months. So they had 2,000 to 3,200 calories a day. And then the final eight weeks, there was an unrestricted rehabilitation period where there were no limits on caloric intake. So the men were housed in the dorms on a university campus. They used a football field to, you know, where the men could exercise. So they were required to work 15 hours per week in the lab. They had to walk 22 miles per week and they participated in a variety of educational activities throughout the week for about 25 hours. So they had to do physical work as well as mental cognitive work. And the results were crazy. So there was a significant decrease in strength, stamina, and their base metabolic rate. So that decreased, which meant their body temperature and their heart rate decreased. So the men ate about 40% fewer calories in that semi-starvation period, and their base metabolic rate also dropped 40%. So because they were used to burning a much higher amount, like 3,200, and it dropped to 1,600, then they started only burning 1,600 calories. That number dropped, which means there comes a point where you cannot keep cutting calories and still expect to lose weight. In fact, adding more food allowed the men to, to continue losing weight. There, there was this kind of weird, weird phase. But there were some also interesting psychological things. So apathy and social anxiety increased. The desire for sexual activity was replaced with an extreme obsession with food. They said that participants savored each and every flavorless bite of food, both during and then after the diet. So hunger made the men obsessed with food. Mealtimes became the highlight of their day instead of normal daily activities. They were hyper aware and hyper focused. There was one recount that there were people or men would go to watch movies and it was like they were living vicariously through the movie and the participants or 
actors and actresses who were eating and they poured cookbooks and they would read, they would look at recipes and they would like kind of look and savor over that sort of thing. So this was a really interesting, I find this a really interesting study, not just from the physical changes that happened, because yes, the men did lose a lot of weight, but it, they also lost, they lost strength, they lost stamina, they developed this really unhealthy relationship with food. There was a lot of psychological changes that happened as well. So it wasn't, and then the men gained the weight back a lot of times. So when they started reintroducing food, um, a lot of men would overeat. Um, I think there was an account of one or two men who had to go to the hospital and like have their stomachs pumped because they had just binged and gorged on so much food after this semi-starvation period. So we just want to be mindful that often restriction can lead to binging. And we want to be just aware that there have been numerous studies that have shown that when we give ourselves access to the quote forbidden food, that binging decreases. That when we change our relationship to food, when it's no longer good or bad or evil or off limits, that we can learn to have a healthy relationship with it and we stop overeating and overconsuming. But there's a variety of other studies that happened as well that, that have, have also proved this. So there was um, something called the Today Study. And so at the beginning of the study, the average body mass index for the lifestyle group was 34. After five years of dietary counseling to reduce calories, their BMI was still 34. The Diabetes Prevention Program, another randomized lifestyle study. So they had intensive counseling to reduce calorie intake and they lost about 15 pounds, but only for, excuse me, only for the first year. After the 10-year study, there was absolutely no difference. So in the first year of cutting calories, people would lose about 15 pounds on average. But by year 10, there was no difference. People had gained the weight back over the next several years and then they maintained that weight even though they were cutting calories. So it just goes to show us that long term, we reduce our calorie intake, we reduce our base metabolic rate, we burn less on average. There was something called the Women's Health Initiative. There were 50,000 women in this randomized trial, and they had instructions to reduce their fat intake. So over seven years, women reduced the daily calorie intake by about 360 calories per day. So they reduced the percentage of calories from fat and increased their carbs. They increased their daily exercise by 10%. So they did the eat less, move more. And here's what happened. There was a comparison group that followed their usual diet. And compared to the normal dieters, the ones who ate less and tried to move more, there was an initial weight loss, but it was followed by that familiar weight plateau and then an eventual regain. And then they, there were no improvements whatsoever in weight or waist circumference. Nothing really changed. So the women who dieted and regained their weight, but it wasn't because of noncompliance. They actually maintained the calorie restriction all throughout the program. It's just that their bodies had adapted. So if you start cutting out 500 calories a day trying to lose weight, you might find that in the beginning, you do drop some. Maybe you can eat less and exercise more for a short period of time, but then you hit these weight plateaus and you feel like crap because you're used to burning more and now you're only burning 1,500 calories because your body is generating um, less energy. It has less fuel. So our bodies will naturally decrease their functions, even from a standpoint of it just wants to be more sedentary throughout the day. I remember this when I was trying to cut calories and cut carbs and run five or six miles a day. I didn't really have energy the rest of the day. Like I didn't want to go and do things. I didn't want to go kayaking. I didn't want to go on an adventure walk or hike or no, I wanted to like sit. <laughs> I wanted to, I did not want to do anything very active. And 
it's tragic because it impacted other people around me. It impacted my friends. It impacted my husband. It impacted my parents when they came to visit. I remember there was one day in particular where I think everyone wanted to go kayaking and the thought of like doing extra movement, I was like, ugh, no, (laughs) I'm done moving. I ran my five, six miles. Like, please don't make me move anymore because my body's just trying to maintain this equilibrium. It is trying to keep me alive. It is trying to maintain my weight just the way it is because I was going for too big of this restriction. I was going for too big of this calorie burn because our thoughts are often, well, the more I can burn, the more I can cut today, then the faster I'm going to hit my goal, and then I can be happier, right? Because we don't have patience in weight loss. Go back to last week's episode. Because we think that the weight loss is going to do something and we make it mean something that we're at a certain weight. We make it mean something bad and negative. And we don't know how to change that conversation. We make our self-talk dependent on our weight, on the scale, the size of our pants, you know, on what happens that week. And we've got to start talking to ourselves better. So we experience physiological changes as well as the psychological changes. So we there's something called the psychology of lack, which simply means that we become fixated on that which we lack and we need more willpower to continue to deprive ourselves of it, right? And this is a very classic case. You're told no, don't do this, don't do that, and then you want to go out and do it, right? It's our, it's our habit brain. It's our teenager brain at, at work here. So when we feel like we are lacking, we become fixated on it. That's why we end up sneaking food at night, right? Like that's when we think, oh, well, I'm not supposed to eat the candy. I guess I'm just going to sneak a few pieces when my kids aren't looking or when hubby's not looking. Let me bury the wrappers down at the bottom of the trash can. And then we need more willpower to keep depriving ourselves, which leads to willpower depletion. This is why like mentally it takes a toll on us after we've repeatedly resisted the temptation over and over again. We've continued to cut and restrict we eventually just don't have the willpower. Like willpower is like a muscle, right? Imagine doing like heavy squats and you do 10 reps and you get your energy gets depleted. Well, that's how our willpower works too. We keep trying to deplete it all throughout the day. It's also housed in our prefrontal cortex, which is like at the forehead part of our brain, which means that any kind of problem solving, cognitive thinking, rationalizing, assessing, like this is where we are, we're doing all of our thinking. And so as we are doing more of the mental work throughout the day, it also taps our willpower. We have less willpower specifically at the end of the night when we've had a mentally uh, depleting day, right? There have been many times where I've come home from work or my husband has, and it's, you know, we might be feeling kind of mentally or a little physically tired, but we're more mentally tired. We're mentally drained. And we don't have willpower in that time at that point because it's housed in the same part of our brain. So we keep needing, we keep trying to rely on more and more willpower And we just keep depleting it more and more, which makes it harder and harder to go back to these old diets, to keep restricting, to keep cutting. So calories in, calories out. It fails to account for how calories are calculated, which is very speculative. I think the old times, like one thing that we still do today is it's based off of like how quickly food burns in, I'll have to look this up, (laughs) but it's like this very outdated system for how calories are actually calculated because it was like they were burned in a Bunsen burner and it was like how much oxygen they had. It was like this really outdated way that we were still using to burn or like base how many calories are in a particular food. Okay, so that's questionable. Number one, (laughs) our body's hormone response, which is not accounted for in this simple math equation of just eat less, exercise more. The quality of the calories or the macronutrient breakdown of the food, right? We don't Think about like food as a coping mechanism, the emotional eating that happens. So all calories are not created equal. And this is something that 
I have, I have question. I remember asking a health coach a few years ago who, you know, like, well, does it matter if I eat a potato or a piece of bread or a tortilla? Like, does it really matter? And she was like, no, a carb is a carb is a carb. And while we might look at a carb is a carb, the carbs have different effects on our bodies. So different foods will go through different metabolic pathways before they're turned into energy. And so even looking at carbs specifically, right? Because carbs are gonna be different than fats that are different than protein. And so even looking though at carbs, like carbs are in vegetables, carbs are in fruit, uh, carbs are in bread, um, carbs are in potatoes, and different people are gonna have different responses to different foods and different ingredients in those foods, So disregarding the metabolic effect of calories is a highly flawed way of thinking because it assumes that our body is this one single isolated system. But food interacts with our biology and it's this complex adaptive system and it instantly transforms every single bite that we take. Okay, Our bodies are not calculators. Their functions are controlled by hormones and hormones respond differently to different foods. So Carbs, fat, protein, right? Macronutrients, these all influence and affect hormones differently. So non-fibrous carbohydrates are gonna trigger the release of insulin, whereas fat does not. This is one of the whole kind of foundations of like a ketogenic diet is how do we keep insulin levels low? We wanna regulate insulin. We wanna regulate blood sugar. But regulating blood sugar does not mean eating every three hours. It does not mean you have to have breakfast. You can regulate blood sugar and regulate insulin by skipping breakfast. There's a lot of science and research and data out there. One of the keys, though, I think we want to look at, too, is who is funding this? Where is the money coming from? Is there a vested interest in a particular outcome? Now, when hormones, and that's just kind of an aside, (laughs) just something to consider when looking at studies. The other thing to consider, too, just as another side note, when you're looking at at studies because a lot of times we see them in articles and magazines or maybe on Facebook or LinkedIn, things are shared and we only read the conclusion. I remember a few years ago, there was this article out and a study had been done that low carb one and when it was a low carb versus a low fat diet, well, the low carb one. And I was like, yes, I am vindicated. This See, this is the right way to do it. This is what I should be eating. And when I actually looked at the study, which I think was eight or 10 weeks, it was a fairly short study. I then went and looked at what were the participants actually doing? I went through and read all of the details and the low carb people were not eating low carb and the low fat people were not eating low fat. So you had two non-compliant groups and you're trying to say, well, the low carbers win because they lost an extra one or two pounds. So clearly low carb is better. No, that's bullshit. Like, no, let's read. Let's actually look at what is the data showing us. Number one, They're not adhering to any of these standards, neither low carb nor low fat, which means maybe none of these work. Maybe that is an unrealistic expectation that we should only be eating 32 grams of carbs per day. Maybe that's not healthy. Maybe that's not what most bodies need. Maybe it's important that we look at what your individual body needs without any rules as to what it should be. All right, let me get off my soapbox here. So we just want to look at, we do want to look at hormones because when hormones are out of balance, our body can hold on to excess fat. We can have weight gain. Stored nutrients can't be utilized as easily. And so we do want to look at hormones like leptin and ghrelin, like hunger and satiety. We want to look at things like insulin and insulin resistance. There's a variety of things, of health concerns and health considerations that this simple calories in, calories out doesn't account for. Um, A lot of times this can wreak havoc on your system, especially if you have something like PCOS or some other 
um, health concerns, um, particularly around hormone imbalances, like eat less and exercise more, like that's not going to help. That's going to make your symptoms worse. So we really want to start to look at people as individuals and start to look at, well, what is really most important when it comes to weight loss? Like what, what is a fundamental key piece? And that's going to be really looking at sleep and water to the most underrated fat burners out there. We want to look at, are you eating because you are truly physically hungry? Because just eating less calories does not make up for all the emotional eating we do. In fact, we aren't going to be able to hit that. But eating because you have extra points, you have extra calories that day is also not helpful. We want to really look and be honest about, okay, am I truly hungry? No. So I'm not going to eat and I'm not going to get worried that, oh, I have to eat after my workout. Otherwise, I'm not going to refuel my body properly. Or I have to eat because I've only eaten, you know, 500 calories today or I've only eaten 1,200 today. 500 was probably too low. Disregard that. (laughs) I've only eaten 1,200 or, you know, 1,500. I haven't eaten enough today. So maybe I need to eat more. I have extra points. I have these extra calories in my allotment. But we're not truly physically hungry. And we just want to be clear here. I want to be clear here that what it means for a diet to work is that you lose the weight and you never gain it back. That is what it means for a diet to work. And we have a maintenance range. And I'll do a whole, I think a whole episode on maintenance. But maintenance, I give myself a five pound sway. Actually, it's more like three to five pounds. I feel like there's a comfortable range for me where I am in maintenance. And there will be some wiggle room day to day, week to week. But in general, I'm going to stay within this range. And that is normal. We shouldn't expect that we're going to hit a number and we're going to be that number every single time we, we weigh in. That's not realistic. But we can use this maintenance as just a guide to look at, okay, if the number is going up, where am I overeating? Where am I emotionally eating? I don't need these crazy restrictive diets. I don't need some big hard plan. I need to just be focused on when I'm overeating. I need to be focused on when I'm grab assing in the afternoon or I'm procrastinating. snacking. That's what I need to focus on. I don't need to be counting calories or points or macros. Like I need to be focused on eating when I'm hungry and stopping when I'm satisfied. This is the foundation. I need to be focused on moving my body in a way that feels good to me and moving it for stress relief, not for weight loss. It's not about how can I lose more weight or burn more calories. It should be how do I manage the stress in my life? How do I do something that I enjoy? How do I get in that physical movement? We are, as humans, we are designed to move. We should enjoy moving our bodies. And I highly encourage you to find what that looks like for you. Some days, maybe that means just walking around Target or the grocery store. Maybe it's walking the dogs. Maybe it's going for a bike ride. Maybe it's a hike. Maybe it's a dance class. Maybe it's a fitness or a group fitness class. Maybe it is lifting weights in the gym or personal training. It can look any number of ways. But we want to just make sure that we are staying active and For many of us who have sedentary jobs at a desk, it can be really important not just to kind of have this bout of exercise, but to be moving all throughout the day. That it's, we want to look at the impact of, you know, moving for 20 or 30 minutes at a time, but also what does it look like for our bodies to be moving five minutes every hour, to be getting up and moving instead of sitting for eight hours at a time, or let's be real, like three to four. So that's what we want to look for. So low-calorie diets, they often lead to weight gain once the diet ends because it's too restrictive. We're often tapping on our willpower, which has depleted. We now are focused and and that psychology of lack kicks in. And so I desire and I want that which I can't have. And then I also have a lot of thoughts as to, well, now, now I've lost my weight. So now I can eat these foods. Now I can go back to these old habits. Now I can do this again. 
Like, I've been so good. I lost the weight. Now I get to eat all my favorite foods. Or, well, screw it. This isn't working. I guess I'm just going to eat whatever because nothing works. I can't lose weight. So why even bother? Why even try? And then our body, often we have, you know, with low calories, we have a decreased motivation to be active. We reduce our base metabolic rate and we have a strong desire to eat everything in sight, to eat foods we don't even enjoy. That is a big thing. Like I have, and it's, it's kind of tough. I was noticing this. I had a wine the other day and it was not very good, but it was like a six out of 10, let's say. So it wasn't great. It also wasn't terrible. It's really easy for me to throw out the terrible wine. It's really easy for me to throw out the like really crisp, burnt food. But when it's like just kind of like meh, mediocre, I have a hard time. Like I realize that because I'm like, oh, well, this isn't that bad. And that whole idea of I don't want to waste it comes up. We have to be aware of all of our permission giving thoughts and excuses and justifications to eat, to eat the foods we don't really like to eat the foods just because it's there, to eat food because it's free, to eat when we are not truly hungry because we're trying to avoid a negative emotion. So we need to stop dieting. We need to look at what can you do for the rest of your life without hating your life, okay? All of those pieces are important for the rest of your life without hating your life. And it's okay if this changes over time, like that's normal, but we need to be focused on the forever long-term eating plan. We need to let go of those food rules. We need to stop thinking that we can just live without pasta or pizza or that we should be doing that in order to be healthy. We need to learn how to make peace with food, how to make peace with wine, how to make peace with nights out with the girls. So I teach that we should have foods where we're going to do more and less. I want to eat more real foods, which is going to look like more fruits and vegetables, more protein, and I want to eat less processed food doesn't still mean that I like because I still eat pizza I still eat burgers I still have tortillas I still eat chips and salsa like I still eat those foods but I just look at well how can I do more it's not that things are off limits or never can I ever I just simply want to eat less instead of eating three or four protein bars a day I want to eat one okay instead of eating like an entire bag of chocolate chips I want to eat like a quarter cup I want to look at what does one serving look like And the way that we can do this, the way that we can do this more or less, the way that we can focus on getting better and making these 1% level ups is we take small, consistent action and we let it compound over time. And we are conscious and aware that our brain is going to want to tell us it's not good enough. And that's okay. It can spit that out at us all day long. But like when you know, like this is good enough, this is worth doing, it is worth drinking my water, that I will lose weight when I drink more water, that I will lose weight when I sleep better when I really prioritize getting in seven or eight hours each night, that this is good enough. We have to tell ourselves this and we have to change the way we talk to ourselves. We have to change all the self-criticism and the self-loathing and the shame and the judgment and all the punitive thoughts and like, man, you messed up now. All of those things, all those feelings of not being good enough, thin enough, pretty enough, smart enough. That's what we've got to get to work on. That's how we lose our weight and we keep it off. Because we are losing the weight the way that we are going to live it. The transition once we get to maintenance is so much easier and seamless because we've practiced losing our weight this particular way. We've created this healthy relationship to food. It's not just all or nothing. I can and I can't. I'm off or I'm on. That's the goal. So if this is something that you would like help with, then I would love to chat because this can feel overwhelming and it can be really frustrating when 
You feel like you're eating and you don't know why. Like you know you're not hungry, but you just keep eating and you can't quite figure out like what's really going on and how do you stop? How do you solve this? If you are looking for some help in actually solving the real problem and actually understanding the emotional eating, the thoughts to change the self-talk, then I would love to chat. So you can visit bodyyoucrave.com forward slash schedule and find a time that works for you on my schedule. Get on my calendar. We'll spend one hour together really diving into what's going on in your life right now. What are you eating? How are you feeling? How are you moving? How are you sleeping? But we're also going to look at other factors and that often lead us to eat and talk about things like, you know, how's your marriage? How's the relationship with your kids? How about your job or your career or your business? Because you don't eat in a vacuum. We're going to really dive into and look at, all right, what's going on right now? And where do you want to be in 12 months? What's that vision of you? What's that best version of you? What is she doing? How is she living? Not just what size does she want to be? Not just how much does she want to weigh? But how is she showing up in her life? How is she showing up for her job, for her spouse, for her kids, for her parents, for the ones that love her, for her friends? We want to look at what does that life look like that you want to create? And then I'll show you exactly what's standing in the way of you getting there. Because so often we think it's one thing and it's really another. And look, this is why I have a coach too, because I can't always see my blind spots. I often think my problem is one thing and it's something else. And I need somebody on the outside who can help show me the reality of my situation, who can help give me that expert opinion and see with those expert eyes what's really going on, what's really happening here. So if you'd like that help and support, then I would love to chat. So This is why I don't believe in calories in, calories out. This is why we don't track, we don't measure, we don't weigh food. We really, I really just help you focus on creating that healthy relationship to food and really looking at managing your thoughts and the feelings around when you want to keep eating even beyond satisfied and when you are not, when you, you know, want to eat and you're not truly hungry. Like that is the foundation. We want to look at, you know, really what's going on in your body We want to look at all the the hormones that are impacting this as well and looking at, you know, things like sleep and water because that is going to impact. It's going to send out cravings. It's going to send out hunger signals when maybe your body doesn't need food. It needs sleep. Maybe your body needs water. Maybe we just need to work on regulating your insulin levels and your blood sugar. So that is it for today. Happy, happy Tuesday. Hope y'all have a great week. Come chat with me. Come find me on Instagram. Reach out to me. I'm on Facebook. I would love to connect with y'all. All right. I'll see you in the next episode. Bye. If you like this episode, then you'll love my free virtual workshop, Five Keys to End Emotional Eating and Lose Excess Weight for Life. You'll learn the counterintuitive reason why all your attempts to restrict food over the years has actually led to weight gain and the mental switch you need to flick that'll have you dropping pounds without sacrificing wine, carbs, or the food you love. Get all the details at bodyyoucrave.com.